Thanks very much, Eddie. It's, um, it's a real joy to be here. You're such a friendly bunch, and uh, I'm really enjoying that. So thanks for the, thanks for the privilege. My, my kids, as I said last night, I've, I have two, um, Silas is 18, Toby's 16. They're away on their youth weekend away. And so my wife, um, uh, she could find nothing to except go to a, a birthday party last night, and then she's walking a dog. This morning, um, we have a dog, a cocker spaniel, and um, uh, part of a litter of seven puppies, and they're having their puppy reunion. <laughs> reunion walk today at the age of two. So, um, so I'm not missing very much, am I? <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to be here, and we've prayed, which is terrific. Now, one of the things we were thinking about last night, and someone's already been kind enough to share with me that they were woken during the night and given an opportunity to think about something that they do, some way that they respond, some stuff that's going on in life that they might like to think a bit more about. I thought of another one this morning. Um, that is uh, how I behave at a breakfast buffet. <laughs> um, how motivated I am to get value for money when I'm not paying. Um, uh, if, if you're sort of slightly catching up with that idea, then inside the booklet, which you should all have on your table on page three, there is um, there's a little bit... Um, well, why don't I just read that? Because you won't have had a chance to, to do that yet. Welcome to Real... Well, first of all, I mean, what a great verse and what a great fridge magnet to have um, in your goodie bag, Philippians 1.6. We're going to get to that a bit later on. But, you know, this, this is extraordinary, isn't it? <laughs> I am sure of this. How could you be sure, Paul, because of who God is? That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. We're works in progress. And that progress will one day be finished. And in that context, we're thinking about a weekend adventure in becoming more like Jesus. In our sessions together, it will help to have some small aspect of your life you would like God's help to learn more about and grow in. You can expect to make some progress, but not to get to the end. Don't pick something huge and vague like pride or parenting or anxiety. Pick something small and specific like driving in a traffic jam. I usually get cross with other drivers. Or... I get really stressed when I drop something, it does my head in. Or I'm finding it hard to go to bed at a sensible time. Or I spend a lot of time looking for clothes slash tools slash new kit online and other important things are not getting done. Something like that. It's okay to ask other people for ideas. And you might find that you share your life with someone who's got a few ideas um, about stuff that interests them anyway, if it doesn't interest you about your behaviour. And... If you haven't already come with something, then maybe something will occur to you as we, as we kick off. But I want to think, uh, first of all, about a situation that um, many of us, I hope, might be able to imagine ourselves in. And um, you're sitting on a train, just leaving Blackheath Station. You're on your way to meet friends for a much-anticipated birthday party, theatre and dinner trip to which you've been looking forward all day and indeed for many weeks before. The celebration is for a very close old school friend you've not seen since her three-year stint in New Zealand, where you hear she became a Christian, and you are dying to hear more. You were a little bit late to the station. It was something to do with a phone call from your mother, which was going to be just a quick one, dear. You answered out of a desire to honour her and just missed the train you intended to get. However, the next train came along quickly, and it seems the delay will be of little consequence. Until that is, shortly after the last carriage clears the platform, the train slows and drifts gently to a complete stop. It creaks and chunters to itself but goes nowhere. After a short time, the guard politely asks for your attention over the intercom and announces that you are currently stationary. 
and at this time he's not sure why that is. He'll be getting back to you once he has any more information. While he is or is not getting that information, you are looking at your watch a little anxiously. There had been some slack in your travel timetable. That was before you missed that train. Now there is very little. You've promised the organiser that you will be there ten minutes before the birthday girl arrives so as to hide and surprise her. If this train sits here much longer, you won't be there before her at all. A further reason to be prompt is that since you had space on your credit card, you have the theatre tickets for the whole party. The person you call to inform doesn't answer the phone. 25 minutes later. After several more vague references to a fault now rectified, the train just begins moving towards Lewisham. You could walk it more quickly. A glance at your watch confirms that this evening's performance will begin in approximately 25 minutes. With a lot of luck at Victoria, you might just make it, though you will definitely miss the champagne and canapes, cheese and wine. At Peckham Rye, the doors are held shut for a few seconds before they open. At Denmark Hill, things are quicker. Progress slows again as the train approaches Victoria, and you are one of several champing at the bit when eventually the platform appears. An older, relatively large lady with a shopping trolley occupies most of the door space as you move towards it. She seems upset by the delay and seems disinclined to stand back to let the undoubtedly faster occupants of the carriage be on their way. Ideally, you needed to be quick off the blocks. At the ticket barrier, one of the gates is out of action, funneling you down to just two gates. When you get to the front, the person in front has managed to spend the time in the queue usefully, pulling out his wallet and getting ready for the barrier. But the thing he pulled out of his wallet was his receipt, not the ticket. And that wallet must be found again and rifled gently through. Tesco receipt, cost a loyalty card. You don't mean to watch, but, oh, there it is. Oh, no, that was... Where is the date printed on these things? Oh, that was yesterday's. Today's has gone completely vanished. How very odd. Oh, no, wait a minute. Try this pocket. The other one? There it is. Fancy that. It was there all the time. Well, I never. How are you feeling? (laughs) What are you thinking about? If you're anxious, what exactly are you anxious about? If you're cross, who are you cross with? If you're despairing, what hope do you feel has faded? Since you're letting others down by being late, how do you think they will feel and how does that affect you right now? And the good thing is not one of those questions is rhetorical. I would love you to talk about that with someone that you're sitting near on your tables. How are you feeling in that situation? How do you feel in situations like that? What are you thinking about? What are you anxious about? What are you cross about? If you're despairing, why are you despairing? Just talk a little bit about how you might feel, how you feel in situations like that with someone not far away from you. Um, I'm going I'm to get a little feedback just to see what you were saying. And, and the, the rule when we're sharing feedback in a session like this is that you're not, you're not automatically sharing your own opinion. This isn't, this isn't what you said on the table. Neither is it the person sitting to your right, so you're not shopping anybody. Um, you're kind of sharing the, the general tone of the conversation and maybe even just giving a, giving a random thought. So we're not dobbing each other in it as we kind of share our feedback at this point. But um, what, what kinds of things were you feeling, do you think? What, what, were, you, what were you buzzing about? How are, you, how are you feeling? Let's have some... Some people calling out. Frustration. Frustration, thank you. Others? Agitation, thank you. Others? Anger with yourself. Anger with yourself. Louis, why anger with yourself? Because you think, well, if if this had really been so important, I would have made more time for myself. I would have given myself a bigger margin. Right. So big thoughts of why do I do this? Why did I do this? Yeah. Other, Other ideas? Yes, how, how can they possibly, how can their evening possibly work if you've got the tickets? This is, 
A nightmare, a disaster, yes. Blaming. Blaming. Yes, who, 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 which direction is the blame going in moments like this? I mean, Louis suggests himself, but... Anywhere away from me. Anywhere away from me, yeah. So, so you two are sort of poles opposite, that's right. But um, what, who are the possible candidates for blame here? Your mother for funny. Your mother. Your mother slash brother, apparently. Okay, fine. Well, we can hear more about that another time, yeah. Um, who else might we blame? The person... British Rail, or whoever they're now called, that's right, yes. Um, anyone else? The man at the barrier. The man at the barrier. Why can't people be efficient and like lightning when you need them to be? Yes. Anyone else? Be angry with your mother. Yes. Yes. Who, after all, did not know that the train was going to break down? Quite right. Anything else? Anyone else are angry with? What about the lady with the shopping trolley? Yeah, the people blocking your way. Yes, the people blocking your way. Yes. Um. <clears throat> Now, uh, if we play the story on a little bit, as you pass the barrier, you find yourself alongside a good friend in your small group at church. She's in tears. And funnily enough, you can immediately guess why. You had a long talk on Sunday about a new man in her life who just invited her on their first date. This must be it. Actually, most of it was you listening while she jumped wildly all over the romantic possibilities for this handsome and successful new bachelor. She never got his number, so it was imagined that after this horrendous delay, he will have long since given up waiting for her. Her mascara, of which there is plenty, is clearly not waterproof. She looks a mess, but might not be aware of it. She latches onto you with a rather gothic look of panic and anger. Why did this have to happen now? Why would God do that? You're going in the same direction to the tube and can sort of talk as you walk slash run along. What do you think you would say? And what other things could you say if you had a bit longer to think? Just talk about that for a couple of minutes. What would you say to this, your friend, from church? What kinds of things do you think you might say to this, your friend? There's obviously a backstory to that one. What's that, sorry? You'd fix the mascara, okay. Uh, great. Good that you were there. Anything else? Yeah. Would you fix the mascara? No. I would not immediately offer solutions. No. Right. So, so um, isn't it good she ran into you? Because it may be that one or two other people would still really be thinking about getting to the theatre on time and that how unfortunate this has happened at this time because this is the one time when you absolutely definitely do not have any time for anything as luxurious as listening. So you're just going to, you know, move on as quickly as you can. If they can keep on walking, because they're going to the, also going to the, going to the tube line. Maybe you can talk, talk, yeah. Walk, yeah, but pretty fast, but yes, yes maybe, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. Other thoughts? Other thoughts, yes? Definitely the first thing is to show empathy to them, first and foremost. Yes. Yes. Um, and really, you know, listen as much as you can yeah. while you're in this unusual situation. Yeah. And then um, plan when you're next to the scene and speak to them, text them, whatever. Fantastic. So, yeah. so you're thinking, do what you can in the moment, but make another opportunity to have a longer conversation. That's a lovely, a lovely reflex. When lots of us will be thinking that you know, when, our, when our heart is taken over with the panic or the anxiety or the anger or whatever it is, it's really hard to um, suddenly to include someone else and to think about things from their point of view. And empathy feels like it's a long way out of reach. Um, 
one, one thing you might, you might um, think, I suppose, especially as you reflect back on it, is that it was a strange coincidence. Um, the last thing I was expecting to do was meet anyone from church. So I was rushing towards something that I thought was... And um, we might wonder if, in fact, God did have a plan that he was operating, but was very hard to see because of all the stuff going on in our hearts. Maybe, maybe God has his own view about which is more important. Your friend meeting a man who wouldn't be good for her, or you joining in a party on time. Maybe uh, God not only loves your friend very much indeed, enough to close off a possibility in her life that wouldn't be good for her, but to bring alongside her, in the moment of her distress, someone who knows what it's like to have plans that are frustrated by a late train and to have your own questions and your own responses to what's going on in life. It's, um, it's hard when the heat is on to remember all these things. It's hard to think about how you love God and how you love your neighbour when life is getting difficult. And one of, what I, one of the things I, I hope um, we might get to by the end of the weekend um, is that God opens up one or two little windows in our thinking that we might um, find ways to, to remember the thought that um, when heat is on, when things are hard, we still can love God and love our neighbour. All of us live in heat of many kinds um, all the time. And there's a slide that's going to go up now with some kinds of uh, heat on it. Um, heat is a, is a picture of... Can you, can you see the screen well enough? That is a sun with heat. And, yeah, we'll just, we can just put them all up. Um, heat is a picture... There's, a, there's another diagram coming later on, which I'll explain more in later. But, but we're using the, the sun as a picture of heat for reasons that we'll see in a moment when we look in the Bible. And all of us live under the sun, the heat of everyday life all the time. And some of us do that in ways that are quite um, significant and hard. And some days are really very, very, very hard indeed. All of us, though, live all the time um, in what the Bible refers to as the world, the flesh, and the devil. The, 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 there, are, there are things that are against us and God and his people um, all the time. And some of them are inside us. But here is... Um, just a, a way of thinking about some of the pressures under which we live. Um, why don't we um, start working our way around about the four o'clock position where it says seeing the shortcomings or sufferings of other people. So you see other people struggling, that has an impact on you. And the more you love them, the more of an impact it has on you, the, the more disconnected you feel from them. But you see someone else struggling, that draws you out, like in that, like in that story. But it asks something of you, it demands something of you. It... it, it um, it, it, it exposes what's going on in your heart when you see the struggling of other people. Um, general hardships, troubles, limitations. You know, you're perhaps um, you, you're conscious that you're getting a little bit older and uh, you're not quite as fast as you used to be. Maybe um, life is getting a little bit more complicated and things aren't as straightforward as they used to be. Um, general hardships, just the, the, the ordinary things of life that you wouldn't, you wouldn't put on a list of great crises, but they're just there all the time. Misleading counsel. Someone gives you advice and it's bad advice. There are all kinds of misleading counsel around us in the world, aren't there? There are all kinds of people telling us what will make our lives good, what will make our lives successful, what will make our lives happy. 
And uh, there's all kinds of voices just swirling around us all the time. I mean, you think about advertising on one side, you think about the news on another side, you think about all the wisdom of the Sunday supplements or the newspapers and the internet. There is so much going around that we're trying to process, uh, trying to help us find our way through life, but a lot of it is completely misleading. The particular pain of being wronged by other people. When someone does something wrong to you, that's hard. That's a kind of hardship. And whether it's the the, the kind of the, the, the regular thing of, of unfairness at work, someone's unkind at work or in your family, or something really very serious, a, a, a betrayal. That's a very, very significant source of, of heat and challenge. The reality of human differences. You know how um, other people just don't think the same way that you do. Other people just don't respond the same way that you do. And sometimes God, in his wisdom, joins people like that together in marriage or puts people like that together as flatmates and housemates. So you have the chance suddenly to see that there is a whole other way of doing life, but it's stupid. Why would you do that? Um, surely when you have a, 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 a meal to cook, the first thing you have to do is to get the kitchen completely clean and orderly before you start, because otherwise it only gets worse. No, no, surely the thing you do if you have a meal to cook is you actually cook the meal. You actually get started and clear it up later. Um, Someone said that the thing about marriage is it's two people wanting to be in the same space in the kitchen at the same time. Um, People uh, respond to life in different ways, and and negotiating those differences is one of the things that makes life hard sometimes, as well as fun and challenging. Uh, As well as as fun and exciting, it can be quite challenging. Or the vast range of options and opportunities. There are so many things you could do. Uh, How do you choose which is the right way forward? That could be hard sometimes. Behind all of these things where they're challenging us, where they're tempting us, they're luring us away from the Lord, where they're, they're trying to push us to follow the world or the flesh is the devil, the evil one. And uh, the Bible's very realistic about the fact that we are facing him and, and doing battle with him in God's strength every single day. And it's easy to forget. It's easy only to see the, the things you can see. But behind the things you can see, there is a very active, malevolent, wicked devil. And all of those things you might say are in the category of negative experiences in one way or another. But then there's another, another one right at the bottom. That, that blessings, strengths, and successes. If someone gave you half a million pounds, you might think, this is great. But the reality is, along with that sudden unexpected blessing, comes a whole load of problems and challenges and tests for you in your love for God and neighbor. What will you do given all these extra resources? What will you do, given the opportunity for promotion? How will, how will that draw your heart? Um, how will it affect your loves? How will you express your priorities in this new set of possibilities? So we all live in the heat all the time. And the all-important question is, what determines how we respond when the heat is on? And I'd like us to look together at Jeremiah chapter 17 to see how different the possible ways we could respond might be jeremiah chapter 17 i've got it on page 777 but that'll be almost no help if anyone has it on page 77 just stick a hand up we'll know we've got the same version that'd be good no it's just me okay great great there's someone else jeremiah 17 Jeremiah's just over halfway through the Bible. You find it after Isaiah, which is a big one, after the Psalms. He's one of the prophets writing about the reality of being God's people, longing for restoration, longing for 
things to be sorted out. And um, so this is Jeremiah 17, verse 5. I'll, I'll read through to verse 14, but we won't look at all of it. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. Like a partridge that hatches eggs it did not lay are those who gain riches by unjust means. When their lives are half gone, their riches will desert them, and in the end they will prove to be fools. A glorious throne, exalted from the beginning, is the place of our sanctuary. Lord, you are the hope of Israel. All who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they've forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. Heal me, Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, for you are the one I praise. There are two plants at the beginning of that little section of Jeremiah chapter 17, aren't there? There's a, they, they both live under the heat of the sun. One, in uh, verses 5 and 6, verse 6, is a scrubby little bush. Not very many leaves. bit spiky. Certainly not very green to look at. Not at all lush. The other, in verses 7 and 8, quite different. A tree. A tree planted by the water. It has green leaves constantly. Its leaves are always green, no matter whether it's an unusually hot summer or it's just beautiful, fresh, refreshing to see. No worries in a year of drought, never fails to bear fruit. These two trees couldn't be more different. What explains the difference between them? Well, it's where they're planted. One is in a desert with no water. The other is planted by a stream. And that's a picture that Jeremiah is using to explain two kinds of person. One kind of person has no leaves, no fruit, a bit spiky. The other is a beautiful, green, leafy, fruitful life. Even in drought, even when life is hard, you still see the beauty. You still see the green. 
The difference between these two people, well, you can see it, can't you, in verse 5 and verse 7. Verse 5, someone who trusts in man, mere flesh, whose heart turns away from the Lord. In verse 7, one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. And these two people could not be more different. The complete explanation for the, the, the differences that exist between them is where the Lord is in their life. First one is turned away, second one is turned towards. This first one has no connection, the second one has its roots in him like a stream of water. So both of these trees are living under the sun. Both can live through periods of drought. One is scrubby and unpleasant and unfruitful. The other, beautiful, lush and green. People, two people, can live through extremely hard moments in life. People can live through times of great trial and test, of drought and uncertainty, of threat and danger, of sadness and suffering. And... Some people can be very spiky and fruitless and angry and turned in on themselves. And other people can be great people to know, fruitful, green, refreshed. And the difference between those people is where our heart is before the Lord. And this... um, picture uh, is the, the kind of the very stark version as if these were two completely independent lies but as we'll see a bit later um, though we doubtless could imagine people right up at each end of the scale permanently actually this is a very helpful picture for understanding um, how we are when we're getting off a train when the heat of being late and letting our friends down is on us It's possible for us to respond in ways that are completely disconnected from the fact that there is a God who's in charge of the world, a God who loves his people, a God who gives himself to us constantly, a God who knows the end from the beginning, a God who cares for all his children. And he gets completely obliterated from our minds, and we respond in ways that are just trusting in man. I've got to rush, I've got to be quick, I need to push people out of the way. We respond in ways that... that, uh, elevate ourselves on our own needs and our own importance above the needs of everybody else on the train. We don't think about what it might be for other people to be late or how worrying it might be for an older person in front of us to, to know that there's a whole train full of hurrying commuters behind her or how difficult it might be to, for someone looking through the stuff in their wallet just to be conscious that there's all kinds of people stacking up behind them and they just can't do it quickly. All we can think about is ourselves and our lateness and our agenda. But it's possible for us to think instead about how in that moment God might be there to give us his help, still to love him and still to love other people. So what I'd love us to think about now as we talk together is is what is your heat? What's the situation, in the situation that you're thinking about, um, the, the, the stuff that's going on that you're interested in, you'd like to think more about, what is it that makes that hard? Where's the challenge coming from? Where are the questions coming from? Where's the uncertainty coming from? What's, what's making it difficult to be the person you want to be at that moment? What's, what's the equivalent of the delayed train or the person in the way 
or the friends you're letting down? What's the situation around you? And um, as we start thinking about these things, you might not be, you might not have lots of ideas about this particular situation. That's okay. You could just talk about life in general. Um, what, what makes life in general hard for you? And this isn't a competition to see who's got the hardest life. Um, we want to listen carefully to each other, don't we, and, and, and appreciate the hardness. But, and, and some of us will be thinking, oh, compared to what I've just heard, there's nothing hard in my life. But the thing is, we all live in the same world. And it's a world in which we all experience the world, the flesh and the devil. And we all know ways, can think of ways in which the new creation will be so much better. That would have stopped or this will have started. And so we can all think of ways given long enough. And so I want us just to begin doing that now, uh, sharing together what's, what's hard, what's, what's the heat under which we're living at the moment. If uh, you, you get started and no one on the table can make any progress, stick a hand up. I'll come around and try and try and help. Okay. Let me say I'm really sorry to interrupt because um, what's just been happening has been beautiful. You've been listening to each other's lives and you've been getting to know each other better. Some of you will have anyway. Um, you've been loving your brother and sister, and I've I've interrupted. Um, so I'm sorry to do that. Um, there's coffee time coming up, and you can carry on. Um, but, um, you know, s- some of you will have been sitting next to people that you knew already very well, and others have been sitting, and, and just discovering that um, life is hard for the people that we live alongside. Um, some of us have been talking about big health concerns or, you know, the brown envelope that came through the door or the... Um, the, the threat of redundancy at work. Others will be talking about a family situation where, you know, two sisters have fallen out and they just can't quite get on um, and quite know what the other's thinking now. It feels like walking on eggshells or, or something about daily life that's just become really hard and it's the same every day and it's hard to get out of bed. Different things that um, we share um, and to know, to understand more is such a precious Uh, gift to give to somebody else but i want us to um uh realize two very wonderful and important things about these things in our lives and they won't they won't be new to you i I wouldn't imagine come to john 11 would you could you turn to john chapter 11 because the first great thing to understand is that god understands the heat he knows very well our situation John, John begins his gospel, doesn't he, by saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And this one who was in the beginning with God has become flesh. God the Creator has become flesh and lived alongside. You know, here's the thing. If there had been St. John's Blackheath when Jesus was around, you know, he would have been sitting at one of our tables. The Creator God. Well, he might have been here, actually, might not he? He might have been. I hope he would have been. Um, standing up, doing the talking. But, but you know, at coffee time, he'd be with us, he, as he was with his disciples, talking, listening. And here he is with some of his dear friends. Uh, John chapter 11, let's look at verse 32. It's the story in which one of his dear friends, Lazarus, has died. Now, how does the creator God feel when 
someone dies. Well, he knows. All, it's all woven into his plan, isn't it? Yes, but when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and she saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who'd come along with her also weeping, he was a little bit impatient because he really wanted them to see who he was and how he was going to change everything. He was calm and unmoved because, after all, he's the God who's outside space and time. No, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Your creator knows what it's like to grieve, not just because he looks from outside and sees everything, and he sees the tears no one else sees, but because he came in Jesus and cried with us and grieved with us, even though in about six sentences' time, He's going to raise the dead. His great power, his great ability to turn situations around, his great knowledge of how he's going to do that and tie all the ends together by the end of time does not stop him being right alongside you and understanding exactly what it's like to live in a very hard time. Now, no other religion has ever dared come close to inventing a God who is like this. Either you have a God who is so remote he doesn't understand, he just never comes close enough. How could he? He's the creator. Or you have a God who's, who's just exactly like us and has arguments, and you have to try and placate them by making sacrifices, and you have to try and persuade them to give you crops by having sex in front of them. They're, they're, they're so human, you have to try and manipulate them because they're based... You, no religion has invented a God who is both utterly extraordinary and out there, and at the same time, right alongside and within and understanding and knowing, who has both the power to change everything and sort everything out and complete understanding of what it's like when it's still broken and painful because they were broken and hurt themselves. Don't you love God? That that's what he's like. He understands our heat. And all the things we were just talking about were not news to him. And it's not that he is somehow remote in heaven uh, waiting for you to pull your socks up. He is with you. He understands. And he can send his people with his spirit within them alongside to give some of that understanding, to give that sense that God is with you and God understands because he sent one of your brothers and sisters alongside to be with you and to understand. And God is not now here in human flesh in Jesus Christ He's here in human flesh in your brothers and sisters that you're sitting beside right now. And we grow in our sense that God is with us and he understands because he sends people to be with us and to understand. That's his goodness, his gift, because he wants us to be sure that he really does understand the heat. He really knows what it's like. So that's the first really important thing to know, that God does understand the heat. And, and, you know, maybe there are forms of heat that you didn't dare talk about then, and I completely understand that. And please, there is no need suddenly to bear your soul in ways that make you feel uncomfortable. But all the things you didn't dare share yet with a brother or sister, you can share completely freely with God because he knows, he understands. Now turn, if you would, to 1 Peter, chapter 1. I'm sorry there's a little bit of Bible flipping. I, I 
trying to keep it down, but uh, 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Well, I'll, I'll begin reading in verse, chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles, scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice. Though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. You have not seen him. You love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for your receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, passages like this one are very easy to to, to to land on when someone's having a hard time. And you remember that bit in the middle that says, in this you greatly rejoice. Ah, so how do I, as a Christian, love you if I hear you're having a hard time? And say, well, do you remember that Peter says, in this we greatly rejoice? And um, there's a misunderstanding of what's being said here, first of all. Because it's in all, that, verse 6, it says, in all this you greatly rejoice. So it's all the stuff he's just said. It's the stuff that, is a joy whenever we can fix our hearts and and remember what it says there, that God is shielding us until the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So God is keeping us safe. There is a salvation that's on the way. That's all good news. That's in the future, and boy, do we need it. But verse 6 says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have had to suffer grief. So it's grief now. Now. For a little while, because Jesus is coming back. But now it's grief And the joy is about what is still to come. And that's a very different way to speak, isn't it? It's not like I'm supposed to be happy now because everything that's happy can be seen from a happy angle. There is grief now. But there is joy to come, and the grief is doing something. The grief is doing something. The great sorrow, the great weight, the great burdens, the great anguish is doing something. And it may be hard to understand what it's doing, but verse 7, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, which I take it means, you know, that person you were holding on to through thick and thin, the Lord Jesus Christ, the the times when you said, well, I know life is hard, but I'm still going to hold on to him because all of my hope is in him. Or the times when you really didn't know if you could have the strength to hold on to him, but somehow, somehow you would still call yourself a Christian when the chips are down. 
the genuineness of that, of that commitment you could never quite let go of, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. One day Jesus Christ is going to be known as the one who kept you through that. One day Jesus Christ is going to be known as the one who was utterly faithful to the promise he made never to lose any of those the Father gave him. One day Jesus Christ is going to be shown as the one who remarkably led so many people through cancer without them turning away from him. Who led so many of his people through appalling family breakup without them turning away from him. Oh, they, they had their moments, they had their... Their, their long nights of crying out to the Lord in anguish and, and perhaps anger. And, but Jesus kept them all. And th- there are times now when we can get a glimpse of what he's doing, that some, but other times we don't know, we, we can't see what he's doing, but it just says he, he's holding on to us and somehow he's going to make this count in ways that one day will be extraordinary. God uses the heat. He's demonstrating his glory and his goodness and he's changing us and preparing us bit by bit for the world that is to come. And when the Lord gives us the capacity just to zoom out of what the thing that swamps us and to zoom out and see a little bit more of him and of his purposes, yeah, there is great joy in that. But it's not the kind of joy that's supposed to cancel out the grief and make the suffering not real. We suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And with God's help, there is a wider, a wider angle on the lens that allows us even to see that in some perspective. So two really important things about heat. We, we all experience heat. We're all going through it um, right now in different ways. And we will until the Lord Jesus returns. God understands that heat. He's lived a fully human life. He's been tempted in every way as we are. He's been perfected through suffering because he needs to save those who are suffering. He understands. He knows. And he uses it. He uses it for the glory of Jesus when he returns. And he uses it for our good too. Those are um, terribly important convictions for us to um, have and pray about and encourage in each other. And there'll be times when we can hold them firmly and times when we feel like we're letting go. But they'll still be true. God still understands. And God is still at work in our lives. Now, we began um, today with uh, thinking about uh, the particular section of heat being stuck on a train. You've been talking about others. Um, Next time, uh, we're going to slightly go down and look at a little bit more about how we were responding. When we come back after our break, we're going to be thinking about the thorns, the spikiness, the lack of leaves, the fruitlessness, the kinds of ways that we tend to respond. Um, And then after we've done that, we'll think about how God meets us when we're such a mess.